0: Olympics podcast, happy 2023, everybody! What an amazing year we have in store for you here on off the podium as we get pumped and excited in the lead up to another Olympic cycle next year. We can say the Paris Olympics are on. Are you pumped? Are you excited? I know you are. We've got a brand new intro to get you in the mood. What a fantastic introduction that was, and what a fantastic interview we have to kick off the year for you. Wow. Doesn't get much bigger than this. We have a true legend of not only Australian Olympics But the Olympics in general Andrew Hoy an eight-time Olympian eight times he has competed at the Olympics 1984 1988 1992 1996 2000 2004 2012 and 2020 and across his eight Olympics. He has won six Olympic Medals. That is right, six Olympic medals. Now, to put that into perspective, where does that rank in terms of Australian medal winners? Well, he is actually overall on the list of Australian medals, 11th equal of all time in terms of total medals, and he's actually the highest non swimmer or non track and field athlete on that list. Of those six Olympic medals that he has won, three of them gold, two silver, and a bronze, and he's the only. Australian male Olympic athlete to win three consecutive gold medals in the same event to which he achieved between 1992, 1996, 2000 as part of the team eventing in equestrian. So many more statistics I can go over here. You're going to hear me say some of these again in the introduction when I get Andrew here on the show, but just an outstanding career by Andrew and still still going. This isn't over. He's He's eyeing Paris. He's going towards that and potentially beyond as you will hear in this interview. So much covered in this chat. One of my favourite parts of this interview, you'll really hear the process involved in choosing a horse because this is actually our, I didn't even mention it there in the intro, our first ever equestrian athlete, which is exciting itself as well. But how you choose a horse? How does an equestrian athlete, a rider, get a horse? What do they do about it? How do they go about choosing the right one to make sure that it's competing well? And Andrew gives a fantastic answer for this. Also goes into detail about how he got into the sport, why there are three Olympics missing from his resume that he really should have been at, particularly one. There's one Olympics, which he was actually selected for, but circumstances out of his own control prevented him from going to that Olympic Games. And what is in the future? As I said, potentially more going on for him, but he's training for Paris and Brisbane 2032. It's a never say never aspect, which as I raised him in this interview, if he goes to Brisbane, he will be 73, 73. Which at least at the time of right now would make him the oldest Olympian in the history of the Olympic Games. So there's there's lots to potentially look forward to here with Andrew. So much stuff you're gonna get out of this interview as we sit down with an absolute icon of the Olympic Games. Eight-time Olympian from the sport of equestrian and six-time Olympic medalist, Andrew Hoy. We have never spoken to an athlete on this show from the great sport of equestrian. And what a way to get our first guest on from the sport of equestrian. I don't even know where to begin, honestly, with this introduction because I could probably take up this entire interview when it comes to introducing our guest. Eight-time Olympian, six-time Olympic medalist, flag bearer at the Atlanta Olympic Games, member of the Australian Sports hall of fame uh uh, the word legend barely even begins to describe him in terms of his achievements not only in equestrian but of course the olympics in general and so pumped and excited to get our first taste of equestrian with a man who probably knows it better than most people out there it is the one the only mr andrew hoy andrew welcome to off the podium it is an honor to have you on the show today
1: thank you it's um it's it's great to be able to to speak with you and um uh, as you were saying earlier, you've got listeners from around the world. So that's, um, that's great. Wonderful.
0: It's exciting for everybody to be able to learn your story because, I mean, so much that we could talk about here today. But as I said, the fact that we've never had anyone from equestrian before, so many questions around that, which how does somebody get involved in equestrian? Is it a simple case of you grow up loving horses, riding horses, and then you want to compete in it? I mean, sort of what is the path generally and what was the path for you that got you involved in equestrian?
1: Well, I, I grew up on a farm um, just south of Culkin, um in uh, southern New South Wales and just near Aubrey-Wodonga. And for me, um, growing up on the farm, my parents um, borrowed a pony from one of my uncles and um, I just started sitting on a pony and riding a pony and... Um, and it, it just really developed from there. And then I think it's it it's fascinating like what the the question that you ask, because I ask many other people how have you got involved in a sport or a business. And it's normally a, a very simple way that they got involved. And and I think um like I've got two very young children and one of them, Philippa, she's interested in in writing and and Oscar, he's – um He's very much a tractor man, (laughs) a tractor man, and so um, and he's happy to sit on a pony as long as the pony keeps going. And as soon as it stops, well, he gets off because he's bored with that. So, um, and I think it doesn't matter what you what you do in life as long as you've got a passion for it. And and my passion has just continually stayed there. And with with any sport or any business, you have your absolutely wonderful days and you see, you understand why you do it because it's wonderful. Um, and then you have your really bad days and with the bad days, it's about reflecting on and thinking, all right, so why didn't it go well? How can I make it better? And, and this is something that I've just always done through my, through my life. And, um, my parents um, I think, have gave me very good advice throughout my, um, throughout my years, and they said, "Well, look, if you want to be good in something, make sure you place good people around you." And um, this, is, this is something that I've always tried to do, and albeit that I grew up on a farm. Um, my dad um, initially grew up in the city as an engineer, and he, he went farming because he had a passion for it. And because he had a passion for farming, he just stayed doing that until he passed away at the age of 95 and producing just wonderful livestock and um, uh, he just totally had a passion for it. And my, my mother's the same age now and she's still doing exactly the same thing. And why? Because she's, she's got a passion for, for that and she's all the time wanting to learn something new. I. And I am all the time wanting to do learn something, something new, and so it just started from riding the pony, going to pony club, enjoying the time, then going on to um, some competitions. But I did many different forms of radio riding. I did rodeo riding. I did wow. camp drafting, um, going to pony club, and then going to local agricultural shows and then I by chance got offered a trip to world championships in 1978 and it's continued from there. But Fantastic. the one thing that a lot of people probably don't realize is that I did not take up riding full time until I was 34 years of age.
2: Wow. Because I,
1: I, I, um and I rode my first world championships at the age of um, 18. And um I think that, that's something that I had, to, I had to earn my money so that I could ride my horses. And I think that was something that my parents, um, they taught me values and respect. And, and with that, that's how, and with the support they gave me, they then gave me, I then had the passion to, to just be able to continue on.
0: It's incredible to think that so that what at that age when you take it up full time, so was that what post Barcelona you were already an Olympic gold medalist at that point, so you weren't even a a full time rider uh just at your third Olympics when you're winning your first gold medal yeah
1: and that's exactly right, and <clears throat> Barcelona was probably the turning point for me because um i was I was farming in Australia, I was making my money to um, to pay for the horses um through farming, and then um, at Barcelona, I because I was trying to do the equine industry plus the horses, I was starting at four o'clock in the morning, I was finishing somewhere between seven and 11 o'clock in the evening. Um, it was basically seven days a week, and I thought I have to focus on one thing because I was physically and mentally exhausted from trying to do the two things. and And so um, that's when I realized, all right, well, what do I do? Do I ride horses full-time or do I do farming full-time? Because I cannot be good at both. And um, I thought, well, I can always go back farming well, I felt I could always go back farming but I didn't. I thought if I stop with the riding, I don't think I'll be able to go back into the into the riding. And so um, I then decided to take up the riding um, following the success in Barcelona. And then in '93 was when I moved to the United Kingdom because I thought, well, if I want to be good, I've got to be in the hub of the sport, which is in the United Kingdom. That was where. The the main players were the the world champions, the Olympic champions. Albeit that Australians had won Olympic gold before, like in 1960, and for sure you can in Australia with with without any doubt and be um, on the international scene. But if you want to be on the international scene every weekend europe or the northern hemisphere there's just so much activity Um, and um, like there's competition every weekend and also midweek here in the united kingdom and it's so easily easy for me to travel across to the continent as well to compete
0: so when you make that world championship team at Such a young age as well. Does the prospect of an Olympics then become realistic? I mean, or had you always sort of, when you've been competing, thought to yourself, "Well, this is the goal. This is a dream. I want to make it to an Olympics."
1: Well, (laughs) my 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 aunt who was also a pony club instructor, and she told me that I always said that I wanted to ride at Olympic Games, but I can never remember that. So (laughs) for me, it was I just had a had a passion for for writing. I think with with these things for sure you need to you need to have a long-term goal. Um, and I think people can become obsessed with their long-term goal as opposed to what can I do, what have I done today and how can I do it better tomorrow? And it's it's step by step and like if, if, I, if I have a goal now, um, well, I, I go to world championships literally and I leave on Saturday and today's Thursday, so I leave on Saturday to start um, a final training camp in Belgium to then go to world championships, which are in Rome. Actually, the site of the 1960 Olympics, and so oh, it's a venue that nice. I've been to many times, and it's, it really is very special. Um but I then beyond this year uh 2022 I have a a goal of um Paris Olympics. Now Paris is still a long way off, mm-hmm. but it will go very quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: And um in in 2024. But you, you need to work out and I I think you one needs to break it down into segments as to how do I become better? What do I need to try and achieve today? What do I need to try and achieve tomorrow? And with the vision of this is what I want the end product to be. Um, But I think at times you can, people don't look far enough forward and other people look too far forward and they don't focus on what's happening today and they get they, they get influenced by the the long term goal as opposed to today's perspective which I kind of like that balancing act because
0: famously after your medal in, in Tokyo when they were sort of questioning how many of you go, you're like, oh, Brisbane, why not? Let's keep going, you know? It's only uh, 11 sort of years away, which, uh, I mean, you know, those baby steps, Andrew, right? You know, Paris is great, but then you've only got two more to another home Olympics. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, look, that's, that's right. And um, I think that... Um, that was just a bit of a throwaway line for me, I have to say, Brisbane. Um, but it, like, it's I, I was very happy when Brisbane won won the bid, and um, the Olympics are going to to Brisbane, and so I, it's it's something that's that's very very special. That, and as everyone well knows. Um, Olympic Games, it's the biggest sporting platform in the world and um, if you show someone an Olympic medal, the first thing they want to do is say, oh, can I hold it? And they they hold it and they say, oh, this is really heavy. Hmm. You must have been fantastic on the day. And then like the final question is, what sport do you play? (laughs) And so that's the significance about an, an Olympic medal as opposed to a world championship medal or a European championship medal for those who can can compete at the Europeans. The Olympic is very, very special. Which I don't know if a lot of people
0: maybe know this, but you were actually selected to go to the 1980 Olympics in in Moscow. That should have been your first games. But, of course, boycotted Olympics. Equestrian was heavily affected with that. So Australia didn't send a team in equestrian, I believe. So I could be talking to you here as a nine-time Olympian, Andrew, because, I mean, technically, if you want to be all that, you've been selected for nine Olympics. So, you know, I mean, was that obviously disappointing that kind of that happened and does that just spur you on to then ultimately go to what were your debut Olympics four years later in L.A.?
1: It's like obviously because I hadn't been to Olympic Games, I didn't know what I was missing. <laughs> and so I I then went um to the alternative Olympics, which were in Fontainebleau in in France, and we won a, a team bronze medal there, but that's never recognized as an Olympic medal because it wasn't Olympic Games, albeit the the main um the the main athletes in the equestrian industry they were at Fontainebleau and so it was a it was a very strong and competitive competition but I think that um yes like it's it's for for me I'm disappointed um that that didn't that didn't eventuate but I'm very very lucky because there are many athletes they only have one opportunity to go to Olympic Games for instance, sometimes the gymnasts or, or um, sports where it's very, very much age-related and um, uh, like flexibility such as gymnasts need. And so um, I, I, I really feel for those people that, that missed. And it, why? Purely because of a political situation.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think sort of everything that happened recently with Tokyo and the delay with that for completely different reasons. But, uh, yeah, just to imagine sort of, you know, the athletes that, yeah, ultimately missed out. I mean, Australia was lucky in the way that we still at least sent athletes to Moscow, but obviously, you know, nations like the US who completely, you know, no nobody went right. And then four years later, yeah. the, the Russians didn't go to, to LA. So, you know, all those kind of windows there. Obviously, though, LA, Seoul, and then we mentioned Barcelona, get the gold, it broke a drought for Australia in in equestrian 32 years at the time and ultimately made up for that over the next three Olympics by sort of catching up a, a little bit at that point. Is there kind of a sense of relief because two fifth places in the 80s, in, in 84 and 88, to kind of get there, get the gold and also break that drought? Because was that always being mentioned on the Equestrian team that it's been <laughs> this long without a, a gold? Like, uh, is now the
1: time to do it? Yeah, so good. <laughs> You never you you should never really think about that, albeit that the people talk about it. <laughs> the most important thing for any athlete is be in control of the things that you can influence. and we all talk about history and with this um, as especially with this show, it's it's. Talking with with people and hearing just extraordinarily amazing stories of um, of their their life, how they grew up, and what the sport actually involves, and their their journey. And for for me, it's I'm becoming. I think this is maybe with with age, but also with the with the help and the support that I've had um, that. Only worry about the things that, or only think about the things that you can actually influence. And if you can't influence something, don't um, don't spend time thinking about it. For instance, um, for me as an as an athlete, I never look at where I'm placed throughout the competition. Well, wow. I never I never look at what other athletes have done or have not done. The only time I look at a at a list is to find out my starting time of when I'm going to start, or um, something relating to time, but I don't go comparing my position with anyone else's position, because I cannot influence anyone else's position in the in the competition. The only position I can influence, and the only score that I can influence, is my own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as it as it so happened. I was the only athlete and horse combination that actually finished on their dressage score in in Tokyo, and to the end of the competition, I did not look at a at a result sheet. Wow, that's crazy! Geez, well, it works out all right then. At the end, when you leave it with a
0: medal, right? So, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> does the but, job. And,
1: and, and so you you can't look at and think, all right, what? What do I? What do I do to try and influence other people's performance? You you can't. And I also watched a, a documentary once on Serena Williams, and um, she's been one of the the great tennis players, women tennis players. And she was saying that, like in relation to Wimbledon, when she was playing at Wimbledon and and looking at the draw, she only would know who she was going to play the night before wow. she wouldn't look at the draw all the way through and see who she could be playing and try and work it out and I, I felt well actually I'd do exactly the same but in a, in a different way and I think that um, success comes from the mind people that are successful have a thought process Process that wants them to be um, better each day. And what is the definition of success? Success is for me um, doing what I can do best and improving, improving that. It's not um, as about a straight head to head. And in our particular sport, we always go on to the competition arena and field on our own. Hmm. we don't we don't go it's not a head to head such as tennis or with with football or with soccer or or any of the 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 real team sports where there's several members to a team
0: which of course you've got a horse though that you're riding which i mean i I'd, I'd love to know the the process involved in selecting a horse like cuz i can imagine that's a very important aspect, forming a relationship with a horse and, and often what can be no doubt a very long bond with a horse. So, I mean, how does that come about sort of when it's time to get a new horse or you need to go into an event? Like how does that all happen for you?
1: Yeah, and look, <laughs> I, w- I wish I could give you a short version to this. To this <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> um, look, it it starts a, about selecting First of all, you need to select the right horse for the correct job. For instance, there are most wonderful draft horses in this world that pull courages and things like that, but that horse is, is not going to be successful in my sport because they're just not built to run and jump and do dressage and do all the things that we, we do in eventing. And my sport is involving dressage. Which is a in Tokyo, it was a test that took three minutes and fifty seconds, where you have to do some work in an arena. And with um when I say an arena, I mean an arena that is sixty meters by twenty meters. You there are certain markers around the the arena where you have to at certain markers you either have to walk, trot, canter, halt, um, do some lateral work, which is moving sideways with the horse, which is a into put it into very simple terms, it's a form of ballet. Well, and, you you, you straight
0: to um, interrupt you, Andrew, you've answered my next question. Describe dressage for us. Done. All right. Thank you for that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So this is all about the selection of a horse, remember? <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But you
0: covering the bases. Great job. Well done. <laughs> uh,
1: um, and then with, with that, you also, the next phase is the cross-country phase. And for instance, Tokyo Olympics, it was uh, a a test that was um, just under seven minutes. And um, I think it was seven minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with
0: seven, that's (laughs) Uh, fine, yep. (laughs)
1: Yes, and um, with that, there's about 45 jumping efforts in that period of time where we have to average a speed if you do not want any time penalties. You have to average a speed of 570 meters per minute. Wow. Now five hundred and seventy meters per minute converted down to meters per second is nine point five meters per second. Wow. So this is this is not just going for a nice or No, <laughs> that's <can't>. fast. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> that's so that's crazy. that's fast. Especially when you've got a fence coming to you, your your approximately 30 meters from the fence and you're three seconds from it. Wow. And so on a on a horse where you have to have the rhythm and the balance and the takeoff spot all within all within basically a 50 um 50 centimeter, half a meter area, then you have to be precise with this kind of thing. Yeah. Then following the the cross country, you've got the final phase, which is the show jumping phase, which is um, a jumping effort where the fences um, are built um, to a meter 25 with some fences in the second round going to a meter 35. Um, And with that, there's maybe 15 jumping efforts and the test takes um, around 80 seconds. And so those are the three phases to our competition. With with that in mind, you then need to select a horse that is going to be suitable for those three phases. What are the things that I look at? First of all, the horse has to be an athletic horse. Um, It's something I like to see the horse – naked so to speak like without a head collar on just see it standing either in the stable or or a small field and just look at the body language of the horse just look at the way the horse moves the around just in in walk um the way the 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 personality of the horse and where with going back to the the three phases of our competition where it's dressage cross-country then show jumping you have to be able to work with the personality of the horse and therefore there's got to be enormous respect there's got to be respect from the rider to the horse and likewise respect Mm -hmm. from the horse back to the rider Mm -hmm. and how do you gain respect You you gain respect through consistency and credibility, and you are every day with a horse. I'm always working towards that respect and that credibility, and and with that, you then develop a bond. And it's it's like having work colleagues. If you've got many work colleagues there are some that you you personally really re- respect them from their thought process their personality you like them as a person there are others that you respect for what they do but you're not so interested in going and having a beer with them or a cup of coffee or or having dinner and so it's not dissimilar into the in the equestrian industry where you, you you have to develop a bond and a love for that horse, but that that bond and that that love it must not be a, um, a humanized bond. Yeah. And I think in in um, many relationships relationships come unstuck when either you don't do something that is consistent and that is that you you lose credibility or assumption.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well they should know that. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's about communication. Yep. And so with communication, communication with a horse is your body language that you have with the horse. body language that the horse has with you now that comes from even going into the stable or going into the field and and treating that that horse in a respectful way but respect also comes from um knowing the boundaries what's acceptable what's what's not and so for me as an athlete it's just clear that I set those those boundaries with the with the horse, but when I'm going to l- try a horse to start with i I look at the body language, I look at the structure of the horse. I then see the horse walk away, walk back towards me. I see the horse um being ridden. I always want someone else to ride the horse first so that i get to see what the horse is and with that i will then sit on the horse myself and and get a feeling and what am i getting a feeling for i'm getting a feeling of what i call the rideability and the rideability is if you put it into very simple terms with um for instance a car it's how the horse responds with the accelerator and how the car responds with the accelerator. It's the stopping, how responsive and how good is the horse with stopping and also turning right and turning left. I, I can feel, I can feel a lot just at walk. And this is a, this is a, this is a feeling Mm -hmm. it's the same as you see some people walking along the street and you say, wow, there's an athlete Hmm. just by the way they walk. Yeah. And you see other people walking and you think, might be a nice person, but you're never never going to be an athlete. They're a podcast (laughs) host. They
0: talk about athletes, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: And so, and it's then I've had horses that have been just exceptional horses for me. And you look over the stable door at them, and you think, "So what makes you so special?" <laughs> because wow. you don't look special. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so <clears throat> it then always comes back to the heart. When I say the heart, I don't mean the size of the heart, for, but for sure, the size of the heart is <laughs> is is important. But it's it's the mind and what the horse wants to give, the same as what any athlete wants to give. And if, if you see me walk down, down the street with in a group of people, you wouldn't pick me out and saying, well, there's an eight time Olympian walking with that group. It would be just looks like a normal guy.
2: Hmm.
1: And so, um, yeah. <laughs> Yet I've been told I'm not normal because I I don't start work at nine o'clock in the morning and I don't finish <laughs> five o'clock like like most normal people do. So, <laughs> so I've been told that I'm not normal, so I have to be careful <laughs> using that phrase. Define um,
0: normal. Come on, yeah, what yeah. what is normal, Andrew? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, But I think um, it's it's about then when you, you when you start working with them a little bit more with the finer details. It's it's what the what the animal or what the athlete gives in in that. And the horse that I took to Tokyo, it is since its since he has been purchased um, by my, the owners who are people called David and Paula Evans. the the people that live here in the United Kingdom. Um, they own Vasili Delasos, the horse I rode in Tokyo. I have been the only person that's ridden that horse. Wow. And he's been with me since... Uh, 2017 and why it's not that other people wouldn't be able to ride him but it's the same as um, other people have just got a different way a different feeling a, a different way of doing something it's like i see you sitting in your studio there if you go if someone else came if i came and sat in your seat and started to work with things you've got it set up you know where everything is you'd be able to tell straight away, well, who's been sitting
2: here? And, <laughs> Who moved and my mouse?
0: <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, wow. What so an I, incredible answer. That's insane. Like, I, I mean, I think about a cyclist. Yeah, that's a bike. That'll do the job. And, of course, there's going to be an aspect of it which, you know, they need to ride it and it feels good. But, like, just that connection and everything that you've got to have with a horse because, I mean, you're not out there – jumping over those jumps at that speed and, and doing dressage and doing the show jump by yourself, I mean, it would be fun to watch. I'd, I'd pay to see that. But, um, it, yeah, you've obviously got a, a horse to, to go with that, which begs the big question, which I'm sure you've been asked 20,000 times in your life, why doesn't the horse get a medal?
1: <laughs> yes. Um, all I can say, it's all about me.
0: <laughs> you've got six of them. Surely you can give one away. Come on, like you know, get your seventh one. I don't need another one of these. Give it
1: to the horse. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually it's actually something. See, the horse gets gets a rosette, mm. but and um, but they actually don't receive a, a medal. You're you're absolutely right. I've never actually taken that up with the IOC, but it's maybe, <laughs> it's maybe <laughs> something that should be taken up with them. But um, they, they get a rosette. I don't get a rosette. Uh, oh, true. Where's
0: the rosette for you? Come on, you're a few well, of them.
1: <laughs> the rosette is actually with um, uh, with the owners of Vasily de la and so so they have that. And, um, and other times when I've owned the horse, I have, I, what I have is the rosettes, and I've I've mounted them in a frame and framed them, so it's, it's very special. Which
0: uh, we always ask our, our guests who've won medals on the show what they do with the medals. You've obviously got a few of them. Uh, I mean, do you have them on display? Are they kind of, you know, put in a museum somewhere? I mean, again, you've got plenty. I'm sure they're spread around. You can give one to all the kids, basically, Andrew. I mean, what do you do with them? Uh,
1: well... Hmm. That's that's a very interesting question, and probably a lot of people are going to be shocked with this with this answer. Some up until some years ago, I would say around two thousand and twelve, around that time, I used to just keep them in a in a plastic carry bag, shopping bag. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and I used to just have them in a in a drawer. Anyway, Stephanie my my wife um saw this and realized this and she's unbeknown to me, she took my medals and had them all mounted and framed all in all in one frame. And wow, so fantastic. so I actually have them and I think um it was it was something I was listening to a story. I'm sure it was John McEnroe was saying, one of the great tennis players of all time, um, that he had something that was really good and and for a, a great achievement. He would always have... That achievement, whether it was whatever whatever it was, the the award that he received, he'd always have it mounted. Like the first thing that he did in the morning, like if he went to the bathroom, it'd probably be mounted on a wall that he would always see every time he went to the bathroom. Or if you're going down some stairs, it would always be mounted at the bottom of the stairs on a wall, or at the top of the stairs as you turn to walk down the stairs. <laughs> Great idea. And and I think that's that's a a very special way of doing it. <laughs> There's there are some memorabilia things that I've actually have because we go to the bathroom every day, I have those mounted in the in the bathroom in, in small frames, but not the medals.
0: Not the medals. Not the medals. <laughs> the medals. Wow. The
1: medals are in my in my office, um, at, in my home office. And so, fantastic. Um, and I remember when um, when I first rode World Championships and went to the United Kingdom. The first place that I ever stayed at was a place called Gatcombe Park, and that's the home of the Princess Royal and, at the time, Captain Mark Phillips. And they'd been successful at Olympic Games. Like at Munich, uh, Mark Phillips had won a a gold medal there. And he had it. um, the medal just mounted um, in, like, some glass that you could see through or prospects that you could see through both sides both front and back and that was in the in their sitting room and i remember seeing that and i'm thinking wow that's just so special an olympic medal and so uh, and and so it's <clears throat> for me it's it's not something that i i i don't like to ex- display what I've actually done and what I've actually achieved. Um, mm. I, it's more, I just um, will have things mounted in areas that in a way not a, that are not on public display because I, I don't want to try and be more than I am. I always mm. think of myself as this kid that grew up on a farm in the country and I've just worked really hard at what I love doing. And yeah. it's not about this is what I've done and and I haven't written an autobiography because I don't want to um, do an autobiography and say, well, I went to this competition and I, I won there and it was really bad weather and, and it was really a great achievement. And then two weeks later, I then went to another competition. Like that, for me, is just the most boring autobi- autobiography possible. You've got um, a lot
0: more readers for that, Andrew, than you think. You've got a copy there <laughs> waiting for me. Trust me, I'd be reading that front to back straight away. Uh,
1: thank you. Um, so uh, at some stage, I will... Go away uh, to the Brisbane,
0: uh, Andrew. Remember, Brisbane, you've got a few more Olympics Brisbane, to get Brisbane. to yet before you retire. Come on, there's, there's <laughs> still plenty in the pipeline, which... It's a weird question to ask because ultimately I'm sure you don't go into an Olympics wanting to win a bronze medal, but were you somewhat pleased you got a bronze in Tokyo to complete the set? You know, you got all these gold and silvers. Like, ah, bronze, that'd be nice, all three of them. That looks better in the frame now that I've got the complete set.
1: You are absolutely right. I didn't (laughs) want to win anything else other than a bronze.
0: (laughs) You would have gotten the first place. I mean, the time you look at the scoreboard and go, ah, shit, Gold. don't want another one of them. I've got too many of them. I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Bring me the bronze.
1: (laughs) I'm very, very happy with a bronze from from Tokyo, an individual bronze and a team silver. But I would have been ecstatic if I'd won gold.
0: It's the thing that I also is so fascinating about sort of your career is that you sadly didn't go to uh, Beijing or Rio. And of course, both those occasions Australia meddled in that I mean what happened like is it does it come to selection is it kind of you know other riders are ranked better I mean how does that happen that they don't select Andrew Hoy to go to an Olympic Games I mean I I feel like you're just like the Olympics are on okay first person is selected Andrew Hoy all right there we go let's do the rest of the team yeah but
1: it, it is about the the horse and rider combination and um I've had many discussions <laughs> regarding my non-selection. <laughs> some of them I could have definitely improved my communication skills, I can assure you of that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> some of the discussions I've actually learned a lot from about myself <laughs> as to how to communicate in a better way.
0: <laughs> Good. That's growth uh, there. I like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But like with all of with all of these things. That without doubt, I believed I was worthy of being in the team, and I believe that I had the horsepower to be in the team and the performances to be in the team. I wasn't selected. I'm not the one doing the selection. It is always a, a, a the the selectors who have an understanding of the sport. I've had some very Open and frank discussions. I'll probably put it that way, <laughs> with with management over the years and with with selection. Not not in the way to bully them into a decision, but to just point out my view and my view of their decision. <clears throat> but I've always finished the conversation by saying, "We are going to agree to disagree." On this decision tomorrow is another day one minute is another minute later than the minute we're just in now and we will move forward from here but we're going to agree to disagree and all i can say is i wish you good luck
0: yes great great attitude to have and then you go ahead to tokyo and you basically tell them yeah guys look what you missed out on all right you know i'm winning a couple more medals all right still got it okay (laughs)
1: <laughs> and it's 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 nothing it's nothing ever personal <clears throat> when I have these conversations.
2: <clears throat>
1: and I know that anyone who's passionate about their job and whether they be an athlete, whether they be an official, whether they be a volunteer, people are passionate about what they do for Olympic Games. And um therefore with some of the conversations people take them very personally mm. but it's 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 not meant personally from me it's purely professional it's my it's now my livelihood for a lot of these other people they have another job so it's not their livelihood they they go to do their best There are rules and regulations that need to be followed and there's decisions that need to be made. And if you're comparing apples with apples, then you don't need selectors for that. That can be done mechanically. Selection is how is this combination going to perform in something in a competition that there are so many variables
2: Hmm. and
1: that's there are some people that are proven championship athletes there are other people that are proven national athletes and very very successful but put them into championship and it doesn't work for them for whatever yeah. reason that that may be and this is something it's it's like select going back and Your one of your questions in selection selecting a horse. How do I select a horse? What works for me doesn't necessarily work for someone else, and it has to be a feeling. And it's the same with going into a championship. There has to be trust from officials in who are making decisions that, and athletes that athletes are going to perform and. Look, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of making mistakes. And there's no person that's had success throughout their life or moved forward in their life without making some major mistakes.
0: For sure.
2: Yeah. It's just that
1: when you start playing with other people's livelihoods, Hmm. whether it be a volunteer, whether it be an official, this is when I – I become very straightforward with my with my <laughs> comments.
0: <laughs> we're going to be that way sometimes, Andrew. It's it's got to come out right. We need we need to get those those moments there. We're we're going to wrap up with a bunch of fun get to know, which I'm so excited for you to answer answer in just a moment, Andrew. But before I get to those two quick questions, um, Atlanta, you're the flag bearer. Obviously, an amazing honor. I don't know if you've ever been made aware that there are only four athletes in the history of australian olympics that have gone on to win a gold medal after being the flag bearer at the same olympics i should say you were the first since bobby pierce in 1928 in rowing to be an australian flag bearer and win a gold at the same games it's been achieved uh since by Tora bright and I believe kate Campbell uh the other two that have gone on to do that since, but I mean that's a pretty crazy stat. I don't want to say it's a jinx to have the flag at your own at the Olympics because you don't go on to success, but you're one of four very unique Australian Olympians to have that distinction
1: yes i I wasn't quite sure of the numbers, but um John Coates um told me at the time who is the, the Australian chapter mission for um for um, Atlanta, he he made me aware of that that um, I'd I'd broken the 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 jinx of flag bearers. So, <laughs> but it's but it's see being flag bearer that's not something you train for. Hmm. That's something that you have the honour of doing, and therefore. I was able to really put it into a box. Okay, this is this is something that's very special, but I haven't trained for this. But I'll do my absolutely best, whatever I need to do for this. <laughs> I'm happy to follow the rules. <laughs> you tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it to my yeah, best ability. Do, do it,
2: yeah. Yes,
1: um, and so I then immediately went and got on with with what I needed to do for the for the event. Are you allowed to suggest that you can ride your horse
0: into the the stadium there in Atlanta? Like, it's like, well, if I'm flag bearer, so is my horse. Like, I'm going to ride out to the stadium on my horse.
1: Yes, but I hadn't trained for that, so I could have gone horribly wrong.
0: Horse might have been ready for it, 100,000 people versus maybe 20,000 in a a stadium. A few more people there, of course, uh, in, in the stadium there in Atlanta.
1: D- different services walking down the
0: yep. down the ramp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. that that works away. The other question, I mean, I'm sure it's one you get asked all the time in terms of you know what what's your favorite medal or your favorite win. I mean, does does anything beat Sydney in terms of either the individual or, or the team on there? Because I mean, people were literally chanting Aussie Aussie Aussie, hoi hoi hoi. I mean, you know, you've got yeah. the your own version of the Aussie Aussie Oi 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 chant going at that time.
1: Yeah. Yes, for for me to win a team gold, individual silver in front of my home crowd that was unbelievably special um, and, without doubt, my best Olympics. But the the other thing that made it very special is people that went to Sydney that I still see and have been to other Olympics say Sydney was a very, very special Olympics. And it's not about the athletes at the Sydney Olympics. It's about the the country and the sydney olympics brought the best out of australia and the best out of the australian people and that's the thing that makes it so special
0: i vividly remember watching it live. I was on my couch uh, in in Hobart watching it um, and just, you know, glued to it Uh, and was obviously fantastic to see that. I'm sure, as you said, you get sort of told that a lot, which, again, pressure for Brisbane, Andrew. You could be the first ever Aussie athlete to compete in two home Olympics, you know, that's a a nice one. I think think if you go to the next three Olympics, you'll uh, equal the record, I think, for most ever Olympics. And at 73, you would be the oldest ever Olympian in the history of the Olympics. So, hey, all uh these... Stats you could look at in the next, you know, ten or so years.
1: Well, I've had a personal trainer here for the for the last two days, so I'll um, I'll make him aware of that. That he's got to keep me going till then.
0: Yeah, and I, and I can guarantee you. I mean, you've done you've done the whole flag bearer, sure, cauldron. I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm still fighting out there for Kieran Perkins, walks in with the torch, yeah, look at me go, trips over, Stephen Bradbury picks it up, lights a gold, Queenslanders. But, I mean, by then you could be, what, like a ten-time Olympic medalist, you know, Emma McKeon, sure, she's won a few, but you can, you can beat her. So, uh, I, you know, Cauldron, Gabba, there you are, lighting it for Australia, Andrew. You thought
1: about that? No, but I think that's a very good suggestion.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> Pass it on to John next time you're talking to him. Like, John, I had this great podcast. Yes. You know, this is the idea. You know, come on. Speak to the people, speak to the people who make the decisions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it worked for Kathy in Sydney. She went on to win the gold. So, you know, you yeah, go out I'm, with a bang. Look at that. that All very, right. That
2: very Andrew,
0: we, we wrap up every single interview with these fun, so I'll get to know your questions. As always, it's a questionnaire that was given to Team Canada athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Just Fun, random, and you might be the most excited, well, the the biggest guest I've had in terms of excited for answering these questions. Because I don't know if you've ever answered some of these ones. So let's give this a crack.
2: The first Olympics you remember watching were?
1: 72,
0: Munich. 72, so Munich, yeah. Which obviously coverage would have been a little bit different back in 1972 than what we we get today. So um, crazy that, I mean, was it like, how extensive was it? I mean, this is probably a long answer, but like, I mean, was it just like a highlight package once a week? I mean, were they doing live events back in
1: 1972? It was obviously because of the time difference, it was, it was very different. So it was, it was much more highlights, um, that kind of thing. And I suppose that was when I started to, see like the excitement of a country competing yeah. and and <clears throat> and so it was it was more that kind of thing that probably hit me rather than this sp- specific sports. Um and you 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 just looked at things that, and and watched sports that you'd normally never watch and that yeah. was that was me that was very special. Fantastic!
0: If you could be a superhero, who would you be?
2: A superhero. You already right.
0: are a superhero. Let's be honest. Can you just be yourself?
2: <laughs> um. I'm still a Batman. My wife's sitting the, next. to Just I heard, was that she, Batman?
0: Was that Batman? Yeah, Oscar, Oscar, our son likes Batman. <laughs> right, <laughs> so that,
1: there you go. That's who he is there, so. <laughs> that that, that well, works, look, That's I, Batman. I, I don't know, I'm going to have to pass on that one. No. <laughs> I, I still, think, still I just say, so to say, say so. Olympic part.
0: Man. Your your own superhero. Uh your favourite ice cream flavour is vanilla. Good answer. Yes. I'm a vanilla man. People give it shit, but it's a good ice cream flavor. So, yeah. Yes, I like it. Thanks for answering that. If you're a baseball player, what would your walk-up music be? Or maybe do you have music that gets you pumped up when you're about to go out there to compete?
2: Um
1: the, the one that um has been used before for america's cup when australia won the america's cup men at work um yep land down under uh, yeah land from down under
0: Yep. great song yes I, I, that's a good one to use what is the best nickname you have ever been called Hoy boy Hoy boy <laughs> i like that that, that that's a good one
1: it's still current <laughs> it's
0: still good current. all right there you go, hoy boy. Sure, we'll just start the interview again. I'll call you that the whole time. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be?
1: Motor racing. Um, interested in motor racing. Like I, I w- would have loved to have done motor racing, as in either bikes or cars.
0: Which your so your dad was he not involved in in motor
1: motor racing? I believe. Which I'm that's, a big F1
0: fan, so that's exciting to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yes, he was involved in in rallying. And, um, when he grew up in Melbourne, that's, that was his sport. Um, I am, I would say with, um, with motor racing, it's, it's more like the, the Porsche Carrera Cup, which happens here in, here in Europe, um, like Bathurst for me was something that I used to all the time all the time watch um and i it was cars that we were that you were basically working with on the on the road as as well um yeah. but motor gp i think is for me those athletes are just exceptional in what oh, yeah. they do absolutely
0: did they ever ask you to do the celebrity race at the grand prix i mean that's something i feel they should have given you a phone call for yes Yes, I
1: did. I was. Um, it was one year in in Melbourne. I was there. Absolutely loved it. I finished um, finished second there. So
0: oh, so was well there. done. There you yeah. go. There's the one for the resume bug of the Olympic medals. Second at the Grand Prix. <laughs>
2: yes. there, that's where you want. You know,
0: get get you have to frame that up if you got a trophy or something like that. That there you go. Um, two more. Where's your favourite place in the world to compete?
1: I would say Aachen, which is um, it's an annual show, and it's in, uh, in Germany. And it, why would it be my favourite show? It would be because of the great athletes from around the world are always at that show, whether they be show jumping riders, whether they be dressage riders, vaulting teams are there, four-in-hand driving, the carriage driving and eventing are there and fantastic. it's just and it's just an extraordinary show
2: extraordinary wow extraordinary
1: show the, sounds the it. entertainment is excellent like from eight o'clock in the morning through until ten, eleven o'clock in the evening and the atmosphere is is just phenomenal
0: fantastic sounds like a great event
1: 20, 25 to. people employed by the show 25 people employed um twelve months of the year for this one show.
0: Wow, geez. All right then. They've got a big job yeah. to do then, it sounds that way. Fantastic.
1: That's that's yeah. awesome. And so and but like they so do the corporate hospitality things like that. Like there's so many other people that are involved in it then. Um but then the the other great equestrian event for me in Australia, albeit that I don't ride at it, is the Melbourne Cup. Is, of course, um, yeah. That's, a, a, for me, a very special occasion. I never put <laughs> it past you,
0: Andrew. I've seen what you can do at the Olympics. You've still got time. Never, mm-hmm. n- you never know.
2: Uh, last one, what is one thing you can't live without? One
1: thing I can't live without.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, a bit worried Actually, that you're taking so long when your wife's in the room. There, she might be giving you a bit <laughs> of an evil eye right now.
1: <laughs> I, w- I would say the one thing that I rely on the most is honesty.
0: Great answer! I like that. Wow, there you go. That's enough said. Own that. That's fantastic, Andrew. What a way to end the interview! And this has seriously been such a, a pleasure to be able to sit down and learn stories. I mean, we could go on for another 20 hours and I'm sure we still wouldn't get through everything from your career. So please write that autobiography. I mean, you've got social media, Instagram people. Where can they follow you on Instagram? Because I love your Instagram page. You've got some great stuff that you're putting up there.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, like it's where I am in today's world, it has changed immensely. There was no mobile phone when I started when I started writing, and now we've got Instagram, um, also a little bit on TikTok.
2: Oh it's wow,
1: just, you're on
0: TikTok. T- okay, I'm signing up right now. I've yet to sign up, but now Andrew Hoy is on TikTok. I've got to be on TikTok. Come on, wow.
1: Um, and so yeah, like the the the, the social media platforms are just, um, so different with communication. But, again, <clears throat> it's something as an athlete you have to be very careful with how much time you, you spend doing things like that. And um, it's, it's, it's something that you, I've seen other af- athletes spend too much time doing, doing that kind of thing.
0: For sure. Yeah, and trust sure. me, non-athletes do it too, Andrew. Just saying. It's oh. not just the athletes that wasting too much yeah. of our time on social media. But I, I'm seriously tiktok damn I'm, I'm i'm signing up right now andrew seriously such a pleasure we look forward to seeing you in paris in la in brisbane bugger it 20 36 20, 40. you're going to be going into your 80s what do you say your, your mum's 95 and she's still doing well you've still got another 30 years in this andrew you could be going to 20 olympics at this rate i think you you're never going to end but uh absolute yeah. pleasure and seriously thank you so much for your time on off the podium today
1: thank you very much enjoy the rest of your day evening wherever you are in the world
0: all right perfect perfect Andrew. i'll just hit solve that i'll let you quickly know thank you so much really really appreciate it we'll be airing this in a in in just a few weeks uh i'll I'll flick it through to, to stephanie and uh tag you and share with it so please once it's up do with it whatever you like and uh we obviously really do appreciate you doing this today it's been an honor thank you absolute honor to speak with andrew there thanks so much for his time on the show thanks so much to his wife stephanie for arranging that interview as well such an absolute pleasure and andrew hoy is on tiktok there you go just absolutely mind blown here i am not on tiktok and yet andrew hoy is i think i i do need to change that i I always use andrew as inspiration for my own olympic dreams you know he's He's in his 60s, I'm in my 30s, uh, so we've got plenty of time to achieve that potential and also win an Olympic medal. So, uh, plenty to look towards in that and lots of inspiration coming from Andrew there and obviously such an honour. And also to learn about equestrian. We've, we've gone this long without having someone from equestrian on the show and finally we have. So, uh, what a way to kick off the year. Isn't that just a way? We ended it so well last year with some World Cup coverage and a couple of great gold medalists in the lead up to the end of 2022. But uh, wow, 2023 is in for a big year. I can tell you that. Of course, two episodes a week now in 2023. We have so many of these great chats coming your way. And next episode, we are continuing on the trend. We're getting gold medalists galore here on Off The Podium. Next episode, we have legendary Canadian bobsledder, Justin Cripps joining us. Now at the time of recording that chat a couple of months ago, Justin had actually just announced his retirement, fresh off retirement days. Mere days after he had announced that retirement, we spoke with Justin. And Justin gives a great insight into his bobsledding career, which uh, netted him two Olympic medals, a gold and a bronze. He's the only Canadian pilot in the history of the Olympics to win a medal in both the two- and four-man bobsleigh. And really insightful, he's got a a great mindfulness technique in which he employed during those Olympics that really helped him. And I'm going to tease this and say that he's the first Olympian I've ever spoken to, especially an Olympic gold medalist. Basically turned around and said, yeah, it was easy, which, I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that. It's not that simple, but uh, tune in next week to hear Justin explain that. Now, he's the only one I'm going to give away from you. Like, usually now I'm liking to tease these interviews, of course, moving forward, but I'll give that one away for you next week. But after Justin, we uh, have a iconic Australian broadcaster joining us who was the voice of one of the greatest moments in Australian Olympic history. So you will hear about that one coming up. We have another Canadian Olympic medalist from the Winter Olympics, which is also very, very exciting. We'll also be bringing some rowing back as well. We'll be talking to somebody from the sport of tennis for the very first time. I uh, tease that a little bit sometimes with the net and the ball and the racket, but I'm, I'm giving it away today. I'm feeling generous. I'll see how I feel in the coming weeks as well. And another exciting one that we've got coming for you uh, a little bit Later on, is a chat with an athlete from the sport of breakdancing. Our very first breaker on this show because now that we're in a period where I can say next year we've got the Paris Olympics, we have breakdancing to look forward to at the Paris Olympics. So we've tracked down Australia's number one ranked male breaker and he's going to be talking to us about the sport. And it's a fascinating chat. We learn literally everything there is to know about break, about breakdancing. And just similar to what we had when we had Tomo Halloran on before the Tokyo Olympics about sport climbing, you were going to learn a lot in terms of what it is, how on earth you score in it. And more interestingly enough, our guest talks about how, is it actually a sport? Should it be considered a sport? Or are we going to have our first ever artistic gold medal given out at an Olympics? since they used to give out medals for sculpture and painting and all those kind of fun ones back in the day. So lots to look forward to coming your way here and off the podium in 2023. We've got a big year ahead of us, and we are glad that you are here to join us on this journey and we obviously appreciate all the support that you're giving us just simply by listening to my voice right now. That's the support we need, and we love you long time for it. That's all I can say right now. Don't get emotional, Ben. If you want to stay up to date with the show, social media, of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, no TikTok. We're going to have to change that potentially, as well as YouTube. You want to watch the video version of our chat here with Andrew. You can search for Off the Podium on YouTube and subscribe to the show where all good podcasts are available Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, iHeartRadio, you name it. We're on there. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us some feedback. It helps us get seen by more people out there and gives this content to other people who may want to listen. So we obviously would appreciate that while you are there online subscribing to our podcast. Again, massive thanks to Andrew for his time. What an amazing interview this has been. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull and remember to go left.
2: (laughs)